welcome to Advanced Neuroeducation Podcasts. Informative, interesting topics, guests, and a bit of brainstorming, and sometimes we even have a bit of fun. So, here we go. Welcome back to Advanced Neuroeducation Podcasts, or should I say pod- podcasts? I don't know. I'll work that out. <laughs> so today is episode number three. It's our concussion discussion, um, and we're talking about what is a different take on concussion, the neurophysio perspective, and obviously the neurophysios are taking a pretty lead role in concussion. So we are lucky we've got today... Liz Jemson-Ledger, who's here with us, who's got an interest in concussion to talk to us. So welcome, Liz. Thank you. Thank you for having me, James. Can you give us a, uh, a, a bit of an introduction and, and as who you are and why and why we should care? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I suppose my, my background is um, I've been working in the neurological scope for around seven years now. So... Um, When I finished my Bachelor in Physiotherapy, I went straight into acute brain injury kind of physiotherapy at a specialised unit. And then I found my my way to advanced neuro rehab. Um, So obviously in our clinic, we specialise more on community, neurological and vestibular physio. Um, So actually today is my six year anniversary here. Congratulations. Um, So funny that you ask that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I found my way into more of this kind of community setting. Um, I suppose having the background of working with acute brain injury started my interest in concussion. Um, and then I feel maybe the past five years, um, I honed in a little bit more on concussion management, which then led me to do postgraduate studies, um, where I've just finished my masters. Um, and I had a large focus there on research around concussion. Um, so now that that's all wound up, that brings us to today and kind of um, my background with concussion, um, as well as at advanced neuro rehab. I'm the clinical lead physio um, there as well. So I feel like I've got um, kind of a large role in establishing our rehab program for concussion in the neurophysio um, world. Great. And so, of yeah. course, you're uh, taking a lead role in our online course, which will be coming up. Yeah. Later this year, quite a comprehensive concussion online course. Absolutely. So you've been here. So obviously, as neurophysios, we work with. We've been working a long time with people with traumatic brain injury, acquired brain injury, and we've also worked in the field of vestibular rehabilitation. So people with dizziness um, and central and peripheral vestibular problems, and they occur a lot in concussion. And you have been at ANR, um, Advanced Neuro Rehab, I should say while the whole concussion management rehab world has exploded, hasn't it? Absolutely. And that includes the international guidelines can be a little bit more clear about how we manage concussion. Um, And, but the, the neurophysio role sort of ticks a lot of the boxes in terms of what needs to be done, um, you know, at a, at a certain level in terms of assessment and treatment for people with concussion. Can you, so can you explain further the, this emerging role of, of neurophysiotherapy and why we're so important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the, the biggest issues in the past was that there was so much grey area of what a concussion was, the diagnosis of it. 
I feel now that the evidence is booming with what's starting to come out and what's being understood about the, the neurobiology that goes on behind a concussion and how it occurs at this cellular level, we now can understand how multi-systemic concussion is. So because it happens at a cellular level and it's an acceleration kind of injury of the brain, we can see that large areas of the brain are affected and that follows through and then affects a majority of the systems in the body. So we know um, that the autonomic nervous system, for example, um, can be affected. That can result in things like issues with exercise tolerance that can affect digestion. Um, it can also lead to things like anxiety, as well as just symptoms with our eyes, like our pupil dilation and functions like that. Then um, there's vestibular ocular motor functions. So you mentioned that as neurophysios, we've got a role in vestibular rehab. Um, so when it comes to vestibular ocular motor issues following concussion, it's very common that people have issues with balance, with eye and head coordination, which can often result in unsteadiness, dizziness, visual disturbances, those kinds of symptoms. Um, we also um, know that there's issues with psychological and cognitive domains as well. Um, so although that's not an area of specialty for us, we take pride in upskilling and knowing about screening those domains so then we can refer to the appropriate health provider. So that might involve a referral to a psychologist, in some cases even a neuropsychologist to do further cognitive testing. Um, and that's a really important part, I think. There's some stigma in the past with managing concussion, but I think it's really important to acknowledge the cognitive um, and psychological issues that can arise following a concussion. Um, a big one for us as well is probably the cervicogenic system, so um, managing the neck. It's much more complex than just neck pain or, or limitations in movement. Um, there's the whole aspect of sensory motor control. So we know that our brain gathers information from our visual system, from our vestibular system, from receptors and proprioception in our neck as well to help orientate us and to function. So we also do a lot of work with sensory motor assessment and management of the neck. And that was part of the research that I did as well, was looking at if exertion affects um, joint position sense in the neck, um, which will be interesting as that starts to come out as well. Um, the neck is also an interesting one because apart from the um, neurobiological perspective of concussion, we also know that it takes about 4.5 Gs of force to induce a whiplash-like injury to structures in the neck. However, issues associated with concussion occur usually you know, from 60 to 170 Gs of force. So what that means is if someone has had enough force to induce a concussion, highly likely that they've been susceptible to some kind of whiplash um, issue as well with their neck. So the neck is a really important part. We then move into more domains. It just keeps going. Keeps going. Keeps going. Um, there's also sleep-wake um, disturbances that is very common. That's a really important one um, and quite common as well. They found that individuals that have issues with sleep disturbances in the early stages of concussion that don't kind of fix themselves can then be a predictor and indicator for psychiatric conditions you know things like depression and anxiety a year post concussion as well we also know that um, sleep disturbances can dramatically affect other symptoms um, like dizziness headache pain those types of symptoms 
and then it can kind of turn into this vicious cycle. So sleep-wake issues is another big domain as well. Um, then we also have balance and motor control as well, um, which is all about, you know, it incorporates multiple systems, including the vestibular system, but also we look at coordination, we look at reaction time. Um, so that's a, that's a huge component. Um, in terms of the autonomic nervous system, I did forget to mention um, or go into more deta detail about our role with exercise tolerance um, as well. Um, so we do a lot of work around sub-threshold assessment, looking at people's capacities from an aerobic point of view as well and just seeing, um, you know, we can do an assessment called the Buffalo Concussion Treadmill Test, for example, to work out if there is issues with... Um, their exercise tolerance, and that a lot of the time is to do with cerebral perfusion. So the way that blood is being supplied to the brain when there's a change in heart rate. Um, so again, that's another domain that we can manage. Um, I'm just trying to think here. There's so many domains if we've covered I think them you've on. covered most of them. That's yeah. the then there's other ones as well, like fatigue is a huge one that can be related to sleep. So sleep related fatigue or cognitive fatigue. Um, so we see that a lot when individuals, um, you know, are really overloaded if they're studying, if they're at school and it's exam period, with their workload, if it's really hard for them to back off how much work they're doing from a cognitive, cognitive perspective. Um, if they're not having that recovery time, if they're not having adequate brain breaks when they need them, fatigue and cognitive fatigue can be quite an issue and also result in symptoms like headache, difficulty concentrating, that kind of thing as well. Um, Another big one as well is just our visual system. So we spoke about vestibular ocular motor, which can involve eye and head coordination um, and part of our visual system. However, there, it goes deeper in terms of our binocular vision. So again, binocular vision isn't our area of specialty. However, we've got a great alliance with a um, orthoptist, Tanya Straga um, in Adelaide, and she's absolutely fantastic. Um, and her knowledge is endless on, um, you know, binocular vision difficulties um, in the context of concussion and other conditions as well. Um, so that's a that's a huge one as well to consider. I think that's I think that's probably all of them. Oh yeah, it's a mouthful. There's about ten different <laughs> things that I've listed. So, <laughs> so obviously we've got um, as neurophysicists we'd have a we have a background in working with brain injury and stroke and these sort of things. So. Even though we're not experts in cognition, we're not. It's not unfamiliar to work with people with those issues, even the subtle ones, and also the anxiety side of things. We do see when you come from the world of vestibular rehab, and you come from the world of uh, neuro rehab, anxiety is we're quite you know familiar with mm. working with people and recognizing those things. But Absolutely. there, there is a there is a point there where um, we have to then call upon our colleagues to be able to help in that situation, don't we? Yeah, referrals are huge. I mean, we, in our clinic alone, we have alliances with at least maybe five different disciplines um, that we often refer to. They probably get sick of us, you know, sending them clients all the time. But it's just so, so important to have that transdisciplinary role. And I think we're going to speak about that mm. more towards the end of the um, session today. Um, I think as well, just things that, you know, we, we've got skills in stuff like fatigue management in brain injury or, you know, having an understanding of secondary vestibular issues that can pop up in concussion. It can be common to, you know, for example, have benign paroxysmal positional vertigo or BPPV following a head trauma. 
Um, we know that the inferior vestibular nerve is more commonly affected um, from the trauma of concussion as opposed to the superior vestibular nerve. So I feel just having those background um, yet yeah, knowledge around those topics is so helpful in the management of concussion, especially persistent symptoms. A big thing I think as well is what you were mentioning before with anxiety around concussion is as practitioners having the communication skills to be able to pick up when people are showing signs of anxiety around you know their recovery and will they be able to play sport again will they be able to return to work and being able to um, provide accurate expectations around return to work return to sport educating them and what's actually going on from a physiological point of view that explains their symptoms and a lot of the time education and sharing that with the client really puts them at ease and gives them um, empowerment I suppose in in managing their concussion themselves with our with our help obviously but just yeah I think empowerment is really important through education when it comes to concussion yeah so obviously we mentioned there obviously there's a lot more vestibular physiotherapists vestibular physical therapists around the world getting involved in concussion um, rehab and management and you can see why because of the vestibular ocular side of things the balance side of things and there's lots of crossover with what we need to assess and manage um, but obviously as a, as a vestibular clinic uh, at advanced neuro rehab we would see we see a lot of people with migraines so the central integration issues the motion sensitivity the visual dependence the um, but also the uh, sensitivities to things like you know light and noise the multi-sensory things so do you think what's the relationship do you think or what's the advantage of us being so familiar with managing people with migraine where does that fit in with the concussion yeah side of things? um i think more and more commonly in the clinic seeing especially the more persistent um cases as well migraine is a really interesting one and not just from the perspective of once somebody is maybe having persistent symptoms but going right back to baseline screenings for example so we know that migraines are a factor that might lead to a prolonged recovery if someone does happen to get a concussion so if they've had a history of migraines um, that can then impact on their recovery if they do happen to get a concussion um, so from our role and our perspective you know apart from just managing concussion also screening for migraines is important in not necessarily preventing concussion, but optimizing outcomes in maybe athletes if they do get concussed. So in terms of migraine management, we have a really big role in identifying triggers. For example, some individuals might have triggers associated with migraine to do with their neck or to do with their vestibular system that we might work on optimizing the performance of those systems to therefore reduce their the impact of migraine and in doing that we then will hopefully optimize their recovery if they do get a concussion from the migraine perspective i suppose we also again have that kind of transdisciplinary knowledge where we know when it's appropriate to refer to neurologists for example if we need a little bit of assistance from a, a medication point of view um, and working with gps as well to work out if that's the course of action that we need to take um, so yeah, definitely then when it goes into the management of concussion and persistent symptoms, having an idea that, you know, if an individual is presenting with light sensitivity, with um, a migraine presentation of, you know, maybe with aura or with this unilateral um, presentation and then 
they're noticing, you know, cognitive fatigue around that time as well is being able to go through migraine education with them to work out when they're in their build-up period, um, what triggers they need to avoid, what maybe triggers we need to focus on in that window with managing it from a concussion rehab point of view as well. Mm -hmm. So that might mean that with their concussion recovery, we might be working on, you know, um, cervical stabilization, or we might be working on vestibular ocular motor function or gaze stability. But if then migraine emerges, we might have to kind of temporarily put that on hold in a session and then just make sure that their migraine management and the management of their triggers is all um, accounted for before we then look at progressing to, you know, the other domains that need to be addressed. So migraine is huge. Yeah, and so we, we've been doing a lot more over recent years, a lot more baseline screening yeah. uh, for people. And I suppose migraine and previous concussions are probably the big two in terms of thinking about uh, persistent symptoms, would you say? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sorry, I was just wondering then with... Um, with we've we've seen a few people where we've done baseline screening and then the migraine conversation comes up and, and this this baseline screening has been an opportunity to inform and educate people mm. um, that have maybe had previous concussions or they're at risk of getting a concussion let's mm. say they're a football rugby player or a cricketer for example um, but you can see we're going to have another podcast about migraine that's for sure oh, yeah. um, but it it uh, it just shows how important um, the multi-systemic management and how education is really key isn't mm. it with, with these people yeah and you do, you need to have an understanding of all of these different domains because that's the thing you could you could easily confuse if you weren't screening for migraine and somebody has presented that had a concussion two months ago and they're getting these symptoms of light sensitivity that are episodic and they're getting you know this this migraine presentation it might be you know either undiagnosed or it might be just mismanaged where there is another thing that you know a practitioner is maybe putting down to those symptoms without the acknowledgement that migraine might actually be the root cause mm. of it mm. um so yeah I think and we've had a few concussions haven't we that have resolved quite well mm. um and then gone back to a baseline of migraines again um mm. and it's really that sort of deciphering Mm. concussion recovery versus back to a, a level of I don't know pre yeah. it, it, it is a, it is a fact that people um, when when you talk and there's been a study that's done with migraine sufferers if you ask them about their previous level of like how often did you used to get a migraine they would under report it mm. um, yeah. and they were getting migraines much more often than they 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 say mm. and then after they've had a traumatic event they say I'm getting much more migraines than I used to. Yeah. The researchers say well, not necessarily. Yeah, that's really interesting because mm. I feel like we see that quite a lot clinically. Where mm. yeah, and people worry a lot, don't they? Um, yeah. If you've gone back to a previous level, oh, I've got a lot more anxiety post trauma. Mm. Well, maybe there was a lot of anxiety there beforehand. So it's yeah. a fascinating. It is fascinating. So um, back to whiplash. So yes. I wonder. I mean, we could talk about this for ages. Do you? If someone's got whiplash or whiplash-associated disorder and you look at the diagnostic criteria or you look at the signs and symptoms of that, mm. it's almost like it's mirror, mirroring concussion yeah. in many ways, isn't it? Yeah. In, in the literature, they kind of refer to two different types of recovery with concussion. There's clinical recovery, which means somebody could come in and they could te you know, do all the testing with us and show no deficits, everything's looking pretty good. 
But then there is, you know, like neurobiological recovery. So from a cellular point of view, has all of that stuff normalized? You know, they think that that metabolic cascade in adults, for example, is meant, meant to resolve in, you know, within two weeks normally. Um, but then from a neurobiological point of view, we don't 100% know when we're seeing someone if that has fully recovered. So usually we go by clinical recovery. I like to add another thing in there as well when it comes to whiplash because concussion itself kind of focuses on, you know, I suppose that type of mechanism of injury where it's that accelera acceleration force resulting in that neurometabolic type injury. Now with whiplash, rather than it necessarily being related to that um, neurometabolic cascade, that is more so about the structural damage of the cervical structures, I suppose. So um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we know that it only takes 4.5 Gs of force to induce you know, damage to those structures. So absolutely, I feel that you can have clinical recovery, you can have you know, that anatomical recovery from concussion at that cellular level. However, it's almost like we're talking about a little side, almost like a secondary injury mm. when it comes to whiplash, that if you know structurally, if the neck hasn't recovered, we just might be dealing solely with a whiplash injury that's a result from a concussion. Um, and again, that feeds back into, you know, not just strength, but also sensory motor control as well. I remember going to a course a couple of years ago, they also discussed whiplash injuries and they had done a study where they did these um, investigations on muscles in the neck. And I think it was 20, 20 years post a whiplash injury and then they found that in these structures that um, of individuals that had sustained that kind of injury in the muscle fibers when they looked at a cross-sectional area there was a an increased amount of fatty deposits in those muscle fibers so it showed that and I think these were individuals that weren't even necessarily symptomatic as well so they were showing that in individuals that didn't necessarily have rehab from a, a whiplash injury years and years prior then had these um, morphological changes to the muscles in their necks resulting in higher fatty deposits, which then has other um, consequences as well in terms of muscle weakness, um, impaired proprioception. Mm. We now are starting to see evidence come out just recently that an impaired um, proprioception in the neck um, is potentially related to increased risk of concussion in rugby players as well. Mm. So when we talk about whiplash um, and associated symptoms, I definitely think that that is almost a, a secondary condition that we need to consider and just continue to monitor even though the concussion um, metabolic side of things might be looking pretty good. So what you're saying is I, I, with my history of concussions, you don't, I don't want to go on one of those studies. I don't want to see fatty deposits in my... Yeah, try not to. Yeah, try not to. Unless you did the rehab for it. Unless you were good and did uh, active rehab. Well, my sister Rachel is a physiotherapist, so she's five years older than me. She she recognised early I had some issues, some issues there. But <laughs> I'm so much, I would have done. Uh, I would have done a little bit of exercise. Uh, so I th that's interesting because we with persistent dizziness, for, just forget concussion for the moment. When we see our persistent dizzy populations. Yeah. Um, and our PPPD patients, yeah. how often do they say, and you look at their history, they've got multiple whiplash or they've got uh, a cervicogenic long-term issues as well, probably putting themselves at limit or their capacity and limitations to be able to adapt mm. uh, are under, you know, it's going to be more difficult. Yeah. 
What do you reckon about the idea? We're seeing lots of patients with functional neurological disorders as well, but yeah. the functional overlay with concussion certainly has to be a thing, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, that yeah, functional overlay is a really, really interesting one. I I don't know if we're more biased towards picking it up because I think we see functional overlay and just functional neurological disorder more commonly in our clinical practice. Yeah. But I, it just makes sense that if especially individuals that have been in a more of a chronic state where their brain has started to learn potentially maladaptive ways of functioning and then you know we're talking about functional overlay being that networking Mm. kind of issue it just makes so much sense that if someone has had a concussive injury in the past that wasn't managed properly that then you know symptoms have snowballed it just makes so much sense that Subsequently, they would then get these networking errors with the way that they're functioning, which would then potentially lead to this functional overlay. Um, I know certainly I've I've seen many cases where the primary injury has been concussion, um, and they're seeing us two years down the track, and then they're starting to exhibit these symptoms of you know maybe functional dizziness or just some other. Um, other kind of things as well like dystonia and other symptoms that you can just see has manifested from you know the mismanagement of it in an acute window Mm. um so functional overlay i think in the future when it comes to the the concussion um domain is that it's going to be acknowledged more in the future and we're going to start to hear about it much more yeah um and yeah definitely in those persistent cases i think it's going to be yeah, something that's going to be much more common in practice with identifying. Yeah, I do. I've got, I've got one concern. I just what I don't want to happen in the future is, we've already talked about migraine, and you look at the list of symptoms of migraine, and it's huge. And sometimes you can fall into the trap of saying, oh, I've gone through all your history, gone through your symptoms. Sounds like, sounds to me like you've got migraine. Maybe mm. you can fall back on migraine for many, many things. Oh yeah. And then also the trap of not being quite clear diagnostics with. FND and these functional problems is also a problem too because you can start to quickly say, oh, by exclusion, I think you've got functional problems and sort of, and it, um, and as we know, FND is not always <laughs> managed well in a multi-D rehab yeah. um, world and there's a lot of misinformation and stigma around these things. I, I hope we don't just call them FNDs and they're really persistent yeah. concussion things that still need mm. objective measures and and yeah. looking at all those domains you've already talked about as well. Yeah. And I think that's why the, it's key for education needs to improve, I mm. feel, amongst all, all healthcare providers. Concussion is such an evolving field, and it will be for, for years and years to come. Mm. And I feel like it is healthcare providers' responsibility to be continuously upskilling in these domains. And again, like I, I keep using the word transdisciplinary, and that's because it is so important in having background knowledge with these other conditions as well because the worst thing that can happen is you know searching for this diagnosis that explains symptoms that are quite complicated to treat and yes yeah, certainly we you know i know i've seen examples of where there's been confusion around the diagnosis of someone's clinical presentation but you know they fit this criteria of functional neurological disorder therefore all of their symptoms are put down to that one condition where in fact, um, you know, maybe it's just the the fatigue side of things that's this functional component, or maybe it's this high level mobility issue that is a functional component. However, you know, maybe the headaches are a, a result of the cervicogenic 
um, issues that they faced from a concussion injury or vestibular ocular motor deficits from a concussion injury. And it's always multi-systemic, it's always multifaceted. So I feel like as soon as you get tunnel vision, that's a very dangerous place to be. And as soon as you start kind of just looking at one sole um, you know, complaint or, or explanation for everything, that's where it can be a little bit dangerous. You need to be open-minded and you need to be open-minded through the entirety of managing someone's case. Um, it's a fast-moving world concussion, isn't it? Oh. And when they say, you know, people take a while to change their clinical practice and on average evidence-based practice takes 17 years, yeah. think about what we've done maybe in the last, since you've been here, yeah. six, <laughs> six years. And just to give people an idea as well, so James and I obviously are colleagues at Advanced Neuro Rehab. James emails me articles, I feel, no. how many articles a week do you think? I don't, I don't, I don't. Just <laughs> <laughs> I don't, do you know? And then we just constantly at work, you know, lunch breaks usually are spent discussing, you know, have you seen this, um, you know, this article that came out? Mm. Did you see this that was posted on Twitter? Yeah. Like, well, we just, we, we use so much of our time. I suppose we're, you know, nerds when it comes to concussion and we love talking about it. But if you don't stay on top of the constantly evolving world of concussion you you fall behind and i suppose that's where we're trying that's to what i'm develop. afraid of i don't oh want to fall God. behind this if i fall behind it's tragic yeah but i feel that's where we're you know we're currently working on a really exciting project around an online um comprehensive management um yeah online tool i suppose um to help with the management of concussion um, and we've been, you know, this has been in the works for quite a while, but the aim of that is to, you know, grab all of the literature, you know, over the past however long, filter through what's relevant, what's the, the latest um, evidence around managing concussion and put that into a program that's suitable for physios, that's suitable for allied health professionals and medical practitioners. So then we start this community and this movement and we build these alliances. So we're all on the same page. We work as a team. There's never, you know, and in our workplace as well, there's never, you know, we're the sole people that are managing this case. Otherwise, you're not going to get very mm. far. You need to have, you need to have a whole, you know, team on board to manage concussion sometimes. Um, we've taken a while to build up. You know, yeah, you've got to build up time. those alliances. Yeah. In fact, even when we've spoken to people, we've gone to organisations and clubs where we talk about concussion, and they may already have some people in place managing it. They've they've really checked us out whether, you know. The, the, they double check whether do we do we know what we're talking about and oh, and that makes sense right. you've got yeah. to be able to trust if you're going to refer to someone that they're going to be on the on the same page they understand if they say coming for and we've had this problem with some of the doctors i think and some of the the rehabilitation doctors would send people to us with a preconceived idea of perhaps what we will do mm. and still, still not perhaps fully appreciate how we might look at whiplash and how we might um you know all what we other, would do yeah, yeah to, things, you know yeah. all those other things so i think they would really um we really need to be or share that knowledge a little bit i suppose the education thing from our point of view for the online courses really was born around the fact that we wanted to get an alliance mm. or a conference of people like-minded people to share information together wasn't it yeah all about information sharing and yeah just establishing that community i think previously that's where concussion was so you know mismanaged in the in the sense that everyone would have this kind of domain that they would hone in on. But back then, evidence was quite scarce as to, you know, the bigger picture. And now that we know how multi-systemic it is, it's, it's all about working together um, as a team and not just going into it with, with just purely your 
your domain and your management strategies, but having that um, idea and the skill to be able to coordinate, you know, with all these other health professionals and yet yeah, work work as a team. Um, and absolutely, in the scheme of things, um, once we get this online course up and running, um, I really want to establish a, a community in South Australia, in Australia, who knows, worldwide one day. Global. <laughs> Global, um, absolutely. Or, or, you know, bigger than that. Yeah, who knows what if else Elon is Musk there, as well, if people on Mars, <laughs> and they'll be tuning into your podcast thinking... These guys are up to date. Yeah, anyone out there listening? I hate to think how much, if we did this again in five years, or we look back at what we're doing with concussion, how much it's actually going, is going to change a lot. Yeah. Um, some of these grey, look, and it, let's be clear about this, there's a lot of grey areas still in concussion. It's a yeah. difficult field to navigate. There's a lot of murky waters. There's technology coming, obviously. So we're looking, we've got a vestibular ocular device, the Neuroflex that we'll be looking at. There's other bits of tech that will probably give us more objective data. Yeah. Um, which is going to be fascinating to see how that, what that adds, and, and how that enhances our practice. But yeah. it's it's huge. Now we'll go it's global. Exciting. This is yeah. massive. This is, is this podcast. So this is the first concussion discussion. It we're going to have we're going to have more. Uh, what's our what are we going to do next? Um, I feel like we have got multiple ideas for the next couple um, that are coming up. So I, I think from the feedback that I have got, um, a big one is around return to work, return to learn. So we hear a lot about return to sport and return to play protocols. However, return to learn, return to work protocols is really important. Um, so that's something I want to touch on. Yeah, um, Yeah, as well as I think we had a plan to do perception, action, coordination as well um and kind of the role of that space in terms of repeated concussion yeah. and, and other injuries as well yeah i'm really interested in that the whole idea of um obviously one concussion puts you at risk of the next concussion also puts you at risk in the sporting world of another musculoskeletal injury for those people who are not in the sporting world what are these deficits putting you at risk of and how's your body adapting and all there's some fascinating stuff out there in the motor control world which i think we should share. I suppose with uh, those of you who follow sport, you see a lot of athletes when you see their second and third concussion. They're quite strange. They get themselves in quite strange situations, some awkward situations. Mm. Sometimes the concussion seems to come just so easily. Their their head control's not that great, and you know. But, yeah. So I think it's a yeah. It's going to be uh, watch this space. It's going to be huge. So I think we should leave it there. That's we've gone over the thirty minutes. So um, yeah, we've got I'll to be just excited. I'll just edit out some of your long. But so thanks for listening. I think our next uh, the next podcast is talking about oh yeah, movement myths. Five oh. top movement myths. It's a That's motor a control musings. Um, yeah, motor control musings. You're loving the alliteration. It's the first motor control <laughs> musings. Um, it's, it's it'll be famous. It's it'll be famous. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks, Liz. No worries. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see you later. All right. Chat Bye. soon. Bye. Bye.